Welcome to Coldcast. We have Ryan Villarreal. What's happening? We're going to talk about current events in InfoSec. There seems to be a lot happening. Like 2020 has been interesting so far. The new updates from Offensive Security. Yeah, they've been busy. Yeah, super busy. They released a new version of Kali, and they released a new version of... Pen testing with Kali. Pretty interesting updates on both of them. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of technical changes. I mean, the, especially... The Python with, thing. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me yeah. was... Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter have their hair on fire because of the <laughs> yeah. getting rid of root. But, I mean, honestly, we preach to customers daily, you know, not to run Linux environments as, you know, root or high privileged users. So I feel like it's kind of on us to do the same, you know, yep. practice what we preach kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't really mind the whole Cali Cali, you know, uh, change. But uh, the biggest thing that I took away from it was the Python 2.7 being deprecated. So that was uh, officially deprecated January 1st, 2020. And uh, Cali actually removed some tools that were not supported. Yeah, I feel like that, and then like you mentioned, the lack of the root default is going to cause the most problems. From a, a perspective of a tester who just uses Kali occasionally, it seems like all the big technical updates are kind of just like a pain in the ass now. Yeah. Like the Python thing, you mentioned people on fire over that on Twitter and the root user thing. Like a lot of tools are just going to be broken. Impact it. So from what I've uh, read, and I haven't found a, a, like a conclusive list of exactly what has been and hasn't been removed, but I believe they were working towards this uh, already and trying to basically either update the tools to Python 3 already uh, or uh, we're working to find alternatives that would work with the Python 3. So I don't think they're just going to leave you out with you know no tool that they've removed. I mean, it's it's not out of nowhere, and we've been talking about deprecating it. Like everybody started moving to Python three, but there are some good tools out there that just like never came back in Python three. People are working on them. Yeah, um, I know. Byte Bleeders talked about yeah. he has a fork on his GitHub for you know Crack Map Exec yep. uh, CME uh, getting you know ported over to Python three. There's already some people who have done that, but I think an official release would be you know better. I'm trying to think of any other tools that I know. Like I said, I haven't really seen anything specifically saying that they've been deprecated or removed from Kali. That'll be, I guess, detrimental to my day-to-day -day workflow. That's fair, yeah. Same here. The biggest thing for me is that I'm going to have to remember to use sudo a lot more when doing mm -hmm. certain commands like nmap, for example. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to just be able to nmap su anymore for UDP scans. I'm going to have to sudo nmap su, which is, you know... Yeah, so I was trying to find the article. Uh, I read it this morning, but there's a way to set that in like basically a, a file inside of your uh, configuration of your Kali. That uh -huh. way you don't actually have to sudo it. And it would only give that specific, like Nmap would only be the thing that would run sudo already, right. like automatically kind of. I still don't think it's a great idea to run Kali as like a daily driver, though. So that's uh, a good point. Um, even offensive security says not to use it as a daily driver. Yeah. Uh, they they highly recommend not doing that. They say you can switch to a more stable build and use it day to day, but they really don't want people using it as like an everyday operating system because they don't want to fix the bugs that are associated with it. Right. They want to yeah. focus on the security aspect of it. So, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be using Kali on your bare metal. Um, no. It's meant to be thrown away, rebuilt for, you know, different projects with updates, et cetera. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there's also security issues just coming with like, if you do run it as root, let's say you're running in-map all the time and like leaving these in-map scans running on your laptop, the same laptop that you use for like, you know, email and personal stuff. Yeah. And then let's say, you know, you're running in-map as root all the time and there's a bug found in in-map and you get compromised through like running all your stuff all the time, like services as root. Like, oh, I have to run Metasploitable or I have to run Metasploit as root. But I'll leave that on in the background while I check my email. Now your your Metasploit running as root got hacked, which I've seen, you know, word, word through the grapevine is there might be like a seg fault in Nmap coming up soon, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have heard some stuff about that. Which is uh, scary, right? It is like, scary. And uh, I just did a quick uh, Google on like CVE details for Nmap. And I mean, they do exist. So yeah, uh, definitely it'd be really wild if you could stand up like a a malicious service on a machine and then someone port scans you with Nmap and you get a reverse shell from that target. That'd yeah. be tight. That would be insane, right? Yeah. That'd be really cool. Just through having a service configured to segfault Nmap. Yes. Shell. Well, and uh, I mean, there's it's happened in Nmap before. Like you mentioned some CVEs in the past. I've seen it used for privilege escalation. Mm-hmm. So yep. like you have to run it as root. It's got suet on it. And yep. then you're able to run Lua script, like whatever Lua script you want. Oh, I just get a shell. Thank you, root. You know? <laughs> yeah. So definitely not. Yeah, local good. privilege escalation through Nmap is yeah. definitely possible. Which is why it goes back to you know my overall take on this big Cali update being that like I'm kind of not really that impressed. Like okay, you have a different user running, cool. Kind of a pain in the ass. And then I mean the GUI stuff is cool. Like installing it's easier. That so was another big thing. That was going to be my next point. Was yeah. uh, I really like the freedom to choose my desktop environment now. So yeah. I was reading the the change log and it says now during the install process, you can choose which desktop environment you want to have. Yeah. So, I mean, you have the option to go back to GNOME if that's what you're feeling or used to. You can use the XFCE yeah, or like any that. of the other lightweight uh, desktop environments. So that's really slick. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, really, you could do that before, but you had to get like an old build and like update it and I never really tried. I've I think I've installed different like DEs before using like uh, just the aptitude or app, you know, yeah, to change it. But uh, being able to select that during the actual install process is slick. Yeah, and then the major changes to PWK. I don't know if you saw that. Um, that is actually pretty cool to me, except for poor old Empire. Yeah, <laughs> I feel kind of bad about that. Uh, like for them, not like it's my fault. Like obviously. But for Empire? For PWK, like they just put all this work into making this new coursework with Empire, but Empire got deprecated recently. So oh, it's like. That's true. Um, from what I've read, though, there is another maintainer of that. Uh, like a fork? Yeah. Oh. So I got to find. I'll have to look up who that is. But from what I've heard, there is another company doing that. People are talking about like still being able to use it. Obviously, it's a bad idea because most PowerShell tools are getting flagged by all EDR uh, systems now. So I wouldn't advise using that in like a a live red teaming engagement. But like a C-sharp empire, like a .NET empire, that's still feasible. Yeah, so uh, we recently used Covenant from Cobber on uh, one of our red teaming engagements, and uh, it was slick. I really liked it. Yeah, some of the the launchers and the, the tasks that are built into the grunts are slick. Cool. Uh, but back to PWK, um, yeah. sorry, gotten off on a little bit of a, a tangent there. <laughs> uh, I actually looked it up when I heard the news that it was going to be updated and you can technically recertify as an OSCP with the new version, um, after three years. So I'm, I've, uh. 
it's been about two years for me. So I was kind of thinking about retaking the OSCP just to see the new changes and stuff. And that the next, would be kind of cool. Yeah. So, I mean, from what I've heard, they redid the buffer overflow attack, which is probably good yeah. since it was so outdated. But uh, the active directory attacks look awesome. Yeah. Um, I always wondered why uh, the OS- OSCP didn't include, you know, some like actual like broadcast attacks and uh, responder they, they you know, poisoning. Now, like- from what I'm reading, it says learn uh, Kerberos and NTLM attacks, lateral movements, stuff nice. like that. So, I mean, if you walk into any pen testing shop and are doing internal pen tests, that's going to be the way you get DA like nearly every time. Yeah. Well, and that and stuff like ARP spoofing was just never covered in the original OSCP, which it says that client side attacks are going to be a little yeah. bit more prevalent so stuff like that and maybe using cross-site scripting to get a shell would be awesome like yeah take over the browser pop an update it's got some script on the back end that runs your update or whatever that'd be cool yeah like simulating a client simulating a user yeah that'd be well i know they had already done some user simulation but like i think it was mostly you know email or maybe there was like something that was sending traffic out yeah but it, it'll be exciting to see some of the the newer updates they have uh, definitely look forward to maybe purchasing. I might get back in the labs just to see what it's like anyways, because especially if uh, you know, you're doing interviews or you're trying to uh, train newer employees that are taking the OSCP and you're wanting to help them, you know, like study for it. You kind of got to know what's in the, the course as well. Cool cast. Krebs on security. Let's talk about that headline. Yeah. The, the Citrix. Yeah. The Citrix thing. So Krebs on security has a headline. Hackers were inside Citrix for five months. That came out, well, like, pretty recently. Yeah. And uh, let's check the details. I don't know if you have it up right now. Yeah, I, I pulled it up. When I first read this headline, I was expecting to see some of those uh, Citrix O-Days that were dropped recently. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it was just a simple old password spraying attack. Um, you know, good old faithful there. Right. Uh, I mean, it's always the first thing to try. Lowest hanging fruit, yep. if you will. But, uh, yeah, basically, I think they got access just to a large number of employee accounts and we're just i think logging in to maybe like a vpn endpoint or getting internal and then they just kind of sat there for five months or not exactly sure what they did there wasn't a lot disclosed in this article from krebs but uh i do have to commend citrix you know for eventually figuring out that they were you know inside their environment they they contacted the fbi to make sure that you know they uh got assistance in uh ensuring that that persistent threat was removed so yeah and they notified employees notified anybody they said was affected like overall seems like really not that bad but still kind of crazy to think about that you know hackers can be in an organization that long and just kind of sneak under the radar yeah i'm really not i don't know if i'm surprised per se but it's definitely hard to catch you know if you're not being super loud and noisy and moving around laterally yeah you can typically exist inside of a network for uh i think i heard like the average an attacker was in the like inside of a network can be like 18 months or something like that yeah well and it it goes back to like what do you consider being on the network like you just have a shell calling out that it sits there i mean the longer it sits there the more it looks like normal stuff especially if you're using like right heuristic detection yeah like oh well that service has been running for six months it's normal Years can go by then before you figure it out until someone's doing a pen test and they see a banner that says just like hashtag or, you know, pound sign on the, on the service banner. Like, is that (laughs) a root shell just sitting on the network? Like, how long has that been there? Yeah. So, I mean, 
overall, I think Citrix did a good job of disclosing the uh, the breach and uh, making sure that they cleaned it up effectively. Yeah. So, and it's wild that it's just password spraying. I mean, like you said, Old Faithful, you have yeah. a, a company like Citrix with a thousand plus employees. I mean, more than that, but a thousand plus that you can probably just find online by searching like LinkedIn. Yeah. And I mean, more and more frequently we hear about breaches and password dumps getting dropped on, you know, different sites on the Internet. And it just becomes more and more prevalent that password spraying is still the the primary way to get in. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot more password spraying, I think, and using those breach creds a lot more on engagements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Costello's breach box tool. Yeah, it's something that's not publicly available, I think, from Coalfire yet. But there's tools like it out there that I've seen. Um, ah, what was it? Uh, I'm going to have to look it up and maybe add it in after the show or something. Snuzzbase.com spelled S-N-U-S-B-A-S-E.com. But it's, it's like a, a breach box with a GUI and everything. What? Yeah. That's kind of crazy. I, I haven't tried it myself or taken a look at the data to see if breach box is better or if this thing is better mm-hmm. or whatever, but it claims to do similar stuff and have like an API even that you can interface Breach with. creds as a service. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty Just- much. <laughs> you query the API for a domain and you can That's like, tight. yeah, I mean, you can automate it too. So you can so, like integrate, create a burp extension that every time you go to a website, it like automatically looks up breached creds with oh, that domain. And that is both terrible and awesome at yeah, the same time. Script it, throw it on a What do you think the uh, legality is behind that? I think it's similar to like, um, I think it would be Computer Fraud and Abuse Act for sure. If you're just going out and spraying random stuff. Well, yeah, if you're actively doing it. But yeah. I meant the legality of hosting a service like that. Oh. Because I know, I remember hearing from Have I Been Pwned uh, website getting into a little bit of legal issue um, with just hosting those creds. And that's why he will still provide the full cred dump, but he, uh, SHA-1 hashes them first. Which still, which is, is like not great. Shaw one has yeah, base so, sixty four encode it. <laughs> I mean, protected, it yeah. does take more work. You're not going to have your your typical skiddies out there just grabbing all the passwords and spraying them, right? You have to actually try to reverse them first. I pulled down the uh, have I been pwned database at one point that was Shaw one hashed, and I was trying to reverse as many of them as possible, and I think I probably got. 60 to 80 percent reversed before i gave up which is like this is sad yeah damn i uh i did this talk about the cloud stuff i don't know if you saw that or or heard about that um but i talked to the the public about npk oh nice yeah i talked to the public about password cracking and then i talked to them about like you know how much intensive hardware you need like we have brutalis and stuff Mm -hmm. and then told them about npk and showed them the price tag for it i was like look you can go crack passwords for two (laughs) dollars npk is very impressive in the sense of the point of entry for password cracking has been lowered so much uh especially with those uh basically unused resources that aws has and that's why you get it so cheap right someone's already paid for that time but you can borrow from it basically and so, yeah, you goes from ha- needing like, you know, thousands of dollars to build a password cracking rig to eight bucks for <laughs> right six hours of password cracking. It's it's legit. Yeah, it's it's just wild. And I mean, that's like the cloud in general. I, I, this wasn't on our planned list, but this is a, a current event at AWS reInvent. They announced a new service, Amazon Bracket, which oh. uh, it's quantum computing as a service. So oh, that's kind of tight. That's insane, right? Like if you wanted to do quantum computing experiments until this point, you needed to get like a research job, you know, with at a university 
or get a job at like Google as like a quantum engineer, you know, you had to be uh, an important person to experiment with quantum computing. Now yeah. it's a cloud service. You just go do it. It's That's wild. pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, how, how much quantum advancement, quantum computing advancement and technology advancement in general is going to happen because of that? Oh, a lot. I mean, it's going to be an explosion of innovation. Yeah. I'm really excited to see where that kind of field goes. Me too. I've been hearing about quantum computing, you know, since I was a kid and how it's going to change everything. I'm finally ready to see that, you know, change. <laughs> like I want to see what happens. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Let's go to Mars. Let's get the Hyperloop set up. Let's, let's, let's break every single encryption algorithm so that's out there right now. Like in seconds, let's just destroy them. I mean, the world would be in shambles. Let's not do that. Actually. I don't know. I, no more secrets, right? That goes back to sneakers, like Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> which is like a hacker bible, right? No that more secrets. <laughs> that is true. What would that do to the to uh, society? Oh, it would it would ruin us, yeah. right? I mean, it would really change it at least. Like everybody talks about how you know how they love Mr. Robot and how cool that show is to like bring down the man and like bring all the 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 debt of society down to zero. But like the world would be in shambles. But uh, kind of like navigating back towards the NPK in the cloud, that yeah, kind of yeah. brings me to another point uh, okay. that we were talking about recently, which was the uh, this article that got posted to Reddit NetSec, the introduction to modern routing for red team infrastructure. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, and it says using this new open source tool. I don't, I don't know if it's actually new. I've just heard about it recently. Uh, a good friend of mine sent me over this link actually yesterday. Was talking about it. Uh, he's a big proponent of you know cloud infrastructure and Docker and everything, and uh, this this new tool, which they say is pronounced traffic, but it's spelled T R A E F I K, which I'm gonna assume means traffic. It it kind of works the same sense as some of the Nginx reverse proxy stuff, and it just kind of creates like a really nice web UI for uh, kind of creating like a load balancer reverse proxy for all of your. Uh, cloud infrastructure needs, which I think was it was originally created for, you know, managing resources in the cloud for like actual legitimate businesses. But this would be awesome to see used in like a red teaming environment. Um, I know recently we were working on that and, you know, like trying to stand up the HTTP redirectors and have like multiple nodes in between us and the target was, you know, difficult to set up and get all the routing done. So being able to kind of automate that process would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, using Covenant as the back end was yeah. really cool too. We talked about that a little bit earlier. That tool, I just found out about that like yesterday. Mm-hmm. I haven't been doing a lot of Active Directory, like network persistent red team type stuff. So seeing a whole new framework that's open source that's doing like C sharp post exploitation, like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you, Cobber. Yeah. No, uh, it's a great tool. Um, we had a lot of uh, success with it on our recent uh, red team. It was, it was between that and Slack or. Our, our good friend uh, Esteban yeah. or Noopy, yeah. uh, as you as you will probably know him on the internet, but uh, yeah, Slacker was great because the the company we were operating with was are doing a test for was already using Slack, oh. and they had let one of their Slack names expire or like they moved to a new one, so we grabbed the old one because once you delete a Slack channel, it becomes available again. So we were operating under their like kind of like their corporate name dot slack dot com and so slack or was just like going all under and we were even doing like you know i probably shouldn't talk too many details about this they they basically were asking if we were using a particular domain name on the debrief call and we were 
basically just like, nope, that's not us. And uh, we kind of, you know, operated under the the radar the entire time using Slack or in Covenant. Nice. So it was really helpful. I know a couple of the guys in uh, Denver here are, uh, myself included, are kind of wanting to work on Covenant a bit and add to the project. Really? We've kind of already started, you know, diving into it a bit because one thing that we noticed that was missing, which was... Uh, would have been really helpful for this past red team was there's no socks proxy in covenant. So uh, being able to set up like something that we can have all of our Kali tools on, you know, to use through like a uh, exploited machine or a a controlled machine would be really great. Yeah, no. And just proxying in general is such a pain in the ass when you do it manually. So seeing this built in stuff with traffic too, that just like, Oh yeah, you don't have to go in and configure proxies anymore and worry about the wrong port number or the wrong, you know, file being there. You just do it. And Docker, too, makes it so much easier. Yeah. I used the, uh, at one point, I had the uh, the Docker container Nginx reverse proxy running at my house. And it was sweet because you would you'd basically stand up this, this project this guy had created from Nginx. And every other Docker container system that you would spin up, you would pass it a particular environment variable and it would automatically set it up with the reverse proxy it would call out to let's encrypt and grab like certificates for it and just stand it up all on the fly like this was stuff that you know we would spend hours doing back in the day and now it's all you know devops have made our life so much easier yeah it's really wild yeah i'm glad we have uh, at least at coal fire we have a pretty solid team doing that sort of stuff uh internal devops and all that like it it just makes life easier I think companies that are, you know, utilizing DevOps are starting to realize the uh, the cost benefits of it. Um, you know, you don't have to have on-prem solutions and this huge power bill and replacing hard drives all the time. You can just pay Amazon or Azure or, you know, Microsoft monthly bill and it's all done for you. Yeah. It's really slick. Yeah. Uh, that topic came up a bit during that talk I did too, because, uh, when everybody is seeing how beneficial it is to use services like the cloud for everything, like you have the NSA and the Pentagon now saying, you know what, let's just move all of our stuff to Google cloud or you move it all to Azure, which is kind of scary because now not only does the NSA have everything on you now, the NSA and Azure, like Microsoft sure. has everything on you. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, uh, are they, have you, did you actually read an article saying that they were yeah, yeah, the NSA is wow. uh, moving everything to, I don't remember if it was Azure specifically. I know the Pentagon is because there was that Jedi contract. They're they're moving, or Microsoft is paying, it's like $10 billion that Microsoft made to support the Pentagon's cloud wow. infrastructure. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if eventually we'll see like cloud services or infrastructure built specifically for government agencies, right? Because I used to work for a government agency or basically a government-funded company. And we had so many compliance rules that it would just not allow us to operate in the cloud at all. Everything had to be on-prem. Like if we wanted to host like some new tool, it had to be on-prem. It was ridiculous, the the hoops and the hurdles we had to jump over. So like I'm, I'm honestly surprised seeing like the move to cloud with NSA. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're doing a lot of like cloud at customer stuff, like you know the semi cloud or hybrid cloud, whatever right. you want to call it. Like, yeah, it's the cloud, but a lot of it's still stored on site on their right. stuff. And maybe that's how they're doing it. Maybe. I'm not a cloud engineer for the Pentagon, so who knows? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so another Reddit post we were talking about. Yeah, the NetSec students post. Yeah, I really like NetSec students. Honestly, um, I know that 
you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm too good to be on net sex students, but it's always good to maintain the mindset of a, a student, yeah, you know, keep learning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I get on there quite a bit. I really like it. Here is the question. You get a job at a place with no security program. What are the first 10 things you do? Now, the top answer, or at least like the answer submitted by the person asking the question, says that this is a question that was posed in his class today. So he's in school, uh, like a formal education setting, academia. But he gives his top 10, and it's make sure backups exist and are good. I'm not going to read through the whole thing right now. You can go check out the, the Reddit post if you're more interested. Uh, risk assessment, uh, reviewing regulations and laws, ensuring systems are hardened, and then, you know, a bunch of other stuff, encryptions, firewalls, all that stuff. I think that's good. But my take is sort of similar to what a lot of the comments say. And that's that you need to take it a little bit more literally. Like actually think about this question, not in academia. Think about it in real life. You get a job at a company with no InfoSec program. There's still somebody in charge of IT, right? Sure. Maybe it's the CEO. Maybe him being in charge of IT is, you know, well, I just use my Gmail. It's a small company or whatever. You need to actually think about the organization. Think about the landscape. Ask questions. Get other people involved. Don't just go cowboy on it and start. Oh, we're right. encrypting everything. We're going to FA. Yeah. So that's my take. Um. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, a lot of pen testers that come into cybersecurity or like, you know, right out of college, I'll, I'll usually like to encourage them before they just like jump in and start changing things. Like you have to understand the environment. Like that is a huge deal. And, you know, you get a lot of the security guys that are like security is the most important thing ever. We <laughs> right. can't have to prevent a breach and everything, but no, that's not it. We're here as a supportive role. We're helping the business be a business securely. Yeah. But foremost, you have to be a business. You have to make money. Security is not the most important thing. It is very important, yeah. but it's not the most important. Yeah. So I would agree with the majority of these Reddit posts that are saying, you know, understand the business, understand how that works. If, uh, and, and this kind of comes back to the last time you guys had me on Colcast was, uh, we were talking about cyber force, you know, and like these yeah, students yeah. that were learning how to like protect their environments, like turning off the, or turning on the firewall to block all ports is not a security control. Nope. You have to be able to reach the internet in today's age. You have to have these services available so people can buy your product or service or whatever. So understanding that kind of culture of the business first is imperatively important. And so from there, though, you could start looking through and making sure that some of these boxes are ticked. I mean, backups, you can pretty much do in the background. Yeah. You don't have to change a lot of processes to get that working. I think a great, uh, it's a number two is a great one. Perform a risk assessment, just seeing yep. where your flaws are. I think that's a great idea as well. You don't have to start turning off things to do that though. But then we start getting into some of his uh, other answers. That is a little too, I would say, cowboyish for me. You know, going in guns a blazing. But I appreciate the fact that there are at least people in this community asking these questions. Yeah. Which is why, like you said, it's important to stay a student, stay learning, keep asking questions. You might get people that are like, no, that answer is dumb. But, you know, like that's part of it, right? We're all discussing and trying to learn from each other. In my opinion, like another problem with asking these types of questions is the range of answers is interesting. Like look at number two, right? Like you said, risk assessment. Great idea. But that's kind of vague. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into a yeah, risk assessment. True. You have to first figure out your inventory. Like, you're not going to be able to do a good risk assessment until you've done a good inventory. And I don't see anything about an inventory on here. Yeah. Uh, 
how are you going to protect your assets if you don't know what they are? Yeah. yeah I think exactly. asset inventory is probably one of the hardest things that companies have to do and that most do poorly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting an asset inventory and just having like a Windows SCCM uh, installer. So that way you, every single machine on your network is getting proper patches from Microsoft or, you know, whatever OS you're using is highly effective. I mean, Microsoft spends a lot of time and research doing this security uh, for you. I mean, why not take advantage of that? Why not make sure that every single machine has these proper security patches installed on them? Yeah, I think this also points to a larger problem in the InfoSec industry, and that's the separation between academia and the field, which I guess is probably an issue in a lot of fields. I only work in InfoSec, so I can only speak to what I see here, but... I went to college for a little bit. I got an associate's degree, right? But what I saw for the brief time I was there was a lot of focus on laws, a lot of focus on like outdated technical terms, like a lot of stuff that's, I guess, like good elementary knowledge, but you can get a job in InfoSec without needing to know how like packet filters work all the time. I'll be the first to say that I'm not bashing higher education by any means whatsoever. Right. But I can kind of speak to what you were saying about higher level education. I do have my master's in computer science. No way. Wow. So I spent a good amount of time uh, in school learning to be an infosec because I thought that was what I had to do to get a job was, you know, you have to have like high level education. And honestly, like out of all the years, I think I might have had one class that truly taught me what it means to be an infosec. Um it was one of the best classes. It, it kind of was what inspired me to go down this career path. You know, our first test was a, a boot to root at VM where the professor was like, you have an hour and a half to break into this machine and get the text file off the desktop. And, you know, after that test, I was walking away with that adrenaline rush, you know, and I was just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But it's badass. Yeah, it was really fun. But it comes back to it. Like I took classes where they, you know, in this like high, high education, you know, higher education area where you're doing big data right like they're trying to teach you how to analyze you know large amounts of data and then you they're like okay so we'll it will email you the data set and i'm like wait what like that's not big data if you can email it to me 20 megabytes yeah it's not even big data if you can fit it on a flash drive you know (laughs) and a lot of my classes were theory based and it is really sad that as soon as i left uh you know college that I get into the real world and everything that I was taught, it basically changes. It's just yeah. like, that's stupid. We don't, you can't do that in the real world because it's so theory based that. Yeah. So. And that's why I'm so big on public speaking to like the actual public and doing stuff like Colcast to like try to get more people that aren't maybe super technical deep into the esoterics of, mm-hmm. of technical stuff because you get into those discussions with other people in the industry and it goes to those places, like you were saying, stuff that's not practical. Right. Like you get people that are 100% into security, 100% into privacy. They're like, I don't use the internet. I don't trust. Like, yeah. like you get, you can get pretty weird with like how secure stuff needs to be in theory, but it's it doesn't matter. Like practicality, like you said, it's a business. You still right. have to make money. Yeah. You still have to have employees that are able to do their job remotely, which means you might need remote access, which isn't always the securest, but... Yeah, exactly. It's a balancing act. It really is. I think cool that's cast. a great question. Cool cast. Yeah. No, and I love I love like theoreticals like that on on Reddit NetSec. That actually brings up something about Coalcast as like a as a structure. Uh we've been talking about getting more segments and I think I want to start getting people asking questions like 
netsec and you know theoreticals like that like let's run yeah. through them it's fun it's i think it is fun. experiments you yeah know? so submit your questions to colcast at coalfire.com if you have any questions you know wait not, is that a real email yeah yeah oh, we got it built up tight so it'll be cool yeah it's me and nate fielding them so oh cool yeah but yeah submit questions technical stuff theoreticals articles you find interesting colcast at coalfire.com people you would like to hear from yeah in the interview oh yeah that's a good yeah ideas whatever we like talking that's why we have a podcast <laughs> did we uh and this might get cut later but did we um announce already that tinker sec was coming on Cold oh yeah Cast? that one's released yeah oh it's already released yeah. so there yep. there you go i mean like we're gonna start trying to get more people from the community that is uh not necessarily coal fire employees so i mean yeah. if if the community starts reaching out and saying like hey you should interview this person like maybe we can make those things happen yeah yeah we really got, like we were saying with devops we got a little bit more backing a little bit more like the hackers are taken seriously as like a, a force within the company so yeah. like you want to hear from someone you got a, a topic do let's do it well, yeah Ooh. so that kind of brings up an, another point if okay. i can diverge a little bit yeah do it so i was listening to paul's security weekly on okay. the way over here to do this episode and uh they had a gentleman on i don't remember his name i think it was like o'Shea maybe but they started a new security conference in like the new england area called okay. ski con and it's kind of turning the whole con security conference on its head with like scheduling. So instead of like you have, you know, your talks during the day and then everybody goes drinking at night, they're going to be skiing during the day or snowboarding because they say it's kind of like a trust building thing. And, and everybody, you know, there's a lot of people in security that do enjoy doing things outside of computers. I know yeah. that might be limited, but what? <laughs> uh, he says that if it is a success that, um, they potentially talked about going other places. And I would like to formally invite Mr. O'Shea to contact Coalfire uh, yeah. or Colcast at Coalfire.com. Uh, we would love to host a ski con here in Denver. We have plenty of great mountains for skiing, snowboarding. Yeah. And even so, we have a good security community here with like 303. We have several uh, B-sides events, both in Boulder and downtown Denver. And uh, of course, Coal Fire is located here. So yeah. uh, we would definitely help facilitate any of those uh, scheduling and uh, needs that you might have. So Yeah, that's an awesome idea. Cool. Mr. O'Shea, reach out. That's Coldcast at coldfire.com. Okay, what's next on the list? Uh, oh, let's talk about the Tesla thing. Yeah, let's so, do it. <laughs> so I sent you this, this video because I saw this headline that was that uh, McAfee hacked Tesla autopilot. And I was like, what? That sounds so scary. They got the car to go 85 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. That was their big thing. And I was like, that sounds terrifying. So we checked out the YouTube video. It's like 30 seconds long. They do a demo. Technically, what they're saying is true. But <laughs> it's a version of autopilot from 2014 is what I was reading. Oh, really? Yeah, that they've now uh, abandoned. Oh. And uh, it's, yeah, they, they've abandoned that version of autopilot and the way that the hack is done honestly isn't really that impressive from a technical perspective. Yeah, Twitter was on fire about it yesterday. Oh, was it? I didn't, I didn't whenever the video was released. What was their take? That it was that they like yeah, it? Yeah, that it wasn't hacking, it wasn't technical, but I still think the def the pure definition of hack is getting something to perform in a way that it wasn't originally intended. So Yeah. Technically a hack, but not technical. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. And it goes back to like social engineering is hacking and it yeah. goes back to like just, you know, interacting with people in a way to influence them and get computer networks. Like it's information security is what it is. So information doesn't always have to be your laptop. Right. Maybe information is the speed limit sign, which is this is what they did. 
they took the speed limit sign that said 35 miles an hour and they put some tape it was just like duct tape right yeah, or like electric black tape. electrical tape <laughs> yeah yep. and they put a little line under the three to make the middle part of the three stretch out a bit more to look like an eight to the camera yep and that's what made it go 85 miles an hour which was really cool <laughs> Having said that, I did not read the article you were talking about that says it was from 2014. So yeah. I'm curious to see how Tesla improved it yeah. or if it's improved. I think they completely abandoned the way that they were using cameras. Like they, they had, I think it was like front facing cameras that they did like some, um, what's that auto CV or like oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, free CV or something. Mm-hmm. Just like camera facial detection type stuff they've made it better now i guess yeah it uses like some sonar or some shit now Mm. like something cool that's kind of cool yeah tesla is one of the more responsible companies that i've seen in the auto uh, manufacturing community that takes security very seriously i believe they have a full-fledged uh kind of like bug bounty program for their cars and stuff and they even hold hold events where it's like if you're able to hack it you can have it kind of thing so i think they're a responsible company and i don't think just saying like hey taping a sign is bad i think they take that into account so yeah no and i agree and that's why i don't want to like rag on mcafee because of their hack because it's still a legitimate threat yeah you could still like you know maybe not in this particular instance since it's a ban- it's an abandoned version of the of the camera but if someone were to do a similar hack that's still a hack that's still getting cars to go 85 miles an hour in like a neighborhood i wouldn't be surprised if there's still cars out there with that 2014 tracking system maybe, and, yeah like someone I mean, disabled the updates or whatever or they just didn't pay for updates from what i've heard you may have to pay for updates oh, that's i don't know enough about tesla to speak on that though or like secondhand ones mm-hmm. like i saw that uh there was this headline that somebody bought a secondhand tesla and they took away some of the features right because it was sold as a demo that oh, this that is, these worked. are the features you could have. I mean, it's like a trial subscription. I mean, I think Tesla was operating in their right to take those features away. Um, I think it was the reseller that promised the customer something that they didn't deliver. But again, I don't, I didn't read enough about it. It doesn't really interest me that much, I guess, because I don't own a Tesla, but that's how I feel too. Like, and that's a whole other conversation about like legality of, of yeah. information and stuff. But the point that I'm getting is that like, there's still cars out there that still might run an outdated version of the right. autopilot and might well, run over a little kid in a neighborhood because they're going 85 because well, somebody I've, taped a sign. I've been kind of like talking about this topic for a while now uh, to, you know, to friends and colleagues and stuff like that. I mean, security is an ever evolving uh, like, you know, environment and it, it goes really fast, yeah. but like cars are manufactured to last, you know, a good amount of time. So if car manufacturers aren't building in processes to get updates to their systems or like, you know, they planned obsolescence or if they don't plan ahead, then like these cars can become outdated real quick. And, you know, if there's any sort of like uh, security concerns within those, it might affect physical health as well as, you know, yeah. business health or profits, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Cars. I mean, there's technology in cars now. There's technology like IOT. I've seen light bulbs that are no longer effective because the companies are no longer supporting them. And they'll just like, like if, if, if a, if a light bulb or a toaster or whatever IOT device it is has to connect to the internet to get updates or to use cloud services in order to uh, operate on a day-to-day basis, you could find yourself without a device or product in the future. And, uh, I think we're definitely going to have some legality issues coming out of that in the future. Gold chest. See what else we got. The humble hacking book bundle. Humble bundles. Is that what you were wanting to talk about too? Yeah. yeah. Dude, it it looks good. Every single time they drop a security bundle, I may already have the books, but I just buy them again. 
I probably yeah. spend way too much. Who go? Who does the money go to? Humble Bundle, like the company. That's the great thing about Humble Bundle is most of the time it's for a charity, and you get to specify how much of your donation of oh. the purchase goes to it. And currently, it is supporting the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which. I'm currently wearing my EFF shirt. Nice. And Let's Sport Encrypt, your, it looks like, too. And Let's Encrypt, which awesome. are both great services. Yeah. I haven't used anything from the EFF. I've heard of them, of course. So, I mean, I don't think they're necessarily a product right. uh, or anything like that. They're just fighting for, you know, uh, cybersecurity laws and technical technology laws in general for like education too right like yeah i think they okay. do some education as well but mostly they have a presence in you know like congress trying to fight for stuff to keep Good. the freedom of their privacy yeah which is going to be huge with like facial recognition and stuff like yeah. that coming up but yeah there's some there's some great books i highly recommend checking it out so let's talk blockchain and bitcoin because that's right. been something that's been on my mind all day it was like two or three days ago uh, my wife and I were just talking about, you know, personal stuff, investments and stuff. And I'm trying to get her to be more on, on the side of investing a little bit more in cryptocurrency. Okay. Cause I believe in it and she's not convinced. And I don't think a lot of people are convinced. No. What do you think about the technology behind Bitcoin, like blockchain? It's interesting. Um, I definitely love the privacy behind the blockchain, any of the cryptocurrencies. However, I think there needs to be independent security studies to make sure that their algorithms that are being used to create those cryptocurrencies are secure because otherwise you could have all of your investment into single cryptocurrency and it could just disappear overnight. Yeah. Um, funny story. Akon, the rapper, yes. started his own city, which is going to predominantly use cryptocurrencies. Akon City, right? Yes. And it's, I think it's in China? <laughs> I, Senegal is what Senegal. I saw Senegal. in Africa. Because that's me. his thing. He's like investing in his oh, homeland. Yeah. Never right? mind then. Sorry. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting. But having said that, I would love to see an independent security study on Akon City. Me too. Never thought I would say that sentence in my life, but... <laughs> Here we are. We need to hire some third-party auditors to go to Akon and say, Akon, please let me into your city so I can... <laughs> yes, correct. So I can investigate your blockchain implementation. Yeah. What, what do I, you know about blockchain? What I generally know about it is that it's decentralized, and that's their big selling point. Sure. Is So like with, with blockchain, specifically in cryptocurrency, the big selling point is that the dollar, as it exists now, is backed by the U.S. government. Sure. And then the euro is backed by the EU and so and so on. Bitcoin isn't blocked or isn't backed by a government. It's backed by everybody that uses the currency having some investment in it. So everybody's got like equal investment. Everybody tracks each other's purchases. That's the whole idea behind the blockchain is that every purchase is validated by everybody else, mm -hmm. which is really cool for a currency because now if you have, you know, the like look at Germany, they had the mark for a long time mm -hmm. and then that went down the train. Everybody that had marks were burning them to create campfires. Wow. Cause, yeah, because it was just useful. Like if you look at like World War Two and stuff, I mean, and post World War One, people are just burning money in Germany because their money is now worthless. They've moved on to the euro, but guess what? The people don't have any euros. So who's to say like 150, 200 years from now, the same thing doesn't happen with the dollar? Just I do not have a background in economics, so I don't know yeah. if that's true. But well, like I, I know I get for what a you're fact saying. that they were burning the money. That's the only thing that I know for a fact. But I agree. Yeah, I'm not an economics guy, and. America's been strong for 300 years now, longer than any other nation in modern history. I love, I love cash money for obvious reasons, but the main one being privacy. You know, there's yeah. no way to track the sell of using cash. And 
with the revolution that is the internet being like purchases on the internet I, I do enjoy a way of purchasing things anonymously yeah so that that is very alluring to me yeah but i don't know enough about it to say that it's going to be a, a viable product in the future well the biggest complaint that i've heard from people that um you know are arguing security about it is that there's been proof that it's not 100 percent secure like advocates are saying bitcoin secure blockchain secure people other people that are against it are saying, no, look at like the Mt. Gox hack. Look at like right. these other examples of hacked Bitcoin exchanges. My argument there is that what you're talking about with things that have gotten hacked with cryptocurrency in the past is like an implementation of blockchain. Right. Or it's an implementation of Bitcoin. Like it's not Bitcoin itself that got hacked. It's not the blockchain that got hacked. It's the admin password for the exchange was admin and someone got in and just or overrode all the the software like it's not which it's could technically safe. happen to a bank yeah exactly however the bank's federally insured whereas blockchain's not the federally insured thing is a big deal to a lot of people because mm -hmm. if you put a hundred thousand dollars in bitcoin on a flash drive yep and you lose it you're sol yeah like, but and if you put it in a bank and the bank loses it you're the insured. u.s government backs it right. yeah because right. they say you know yeah i would like to see more wide adoption of uh like Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies. I know uh, being able to purchase things with that would help, you know, with the adoption rate going up. I th remember that summer where Bitcoin was hitting like 20,000, yeah. I guess a, a Bitcoin yeah. itself. I made like 300 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, Whoop. I made great money too, but like I wanted to be able to use that money as well. Yeah. And uh, I think there were a couple companies that started, you know, like, tempting the idea i think amazon steam, steam amazon and then i think they like most of them backed out because once they got that cryptocurrency it dropped the value and it's just so volatile right now that it's just it's hard to invest in it yeah so yeah and it's not going to even out until people start taking it more seriously as a currency instead of a, an investment speculation stock type thing but that's why people are using it predominantly right now is because they see people are making money off of it, like right. making dollars off of it. So that just goes to show there's still so much more faith in the dollar than there is in Bitcoin. But right. I think the technology itself is kind of interesting. So that is kind of what I wanted to loop back around to yeah, is blockchain more itself. of the technology instead of the economics since right. I can't really speak to it. So let's talk well. technology. Yeah. So yeah, I mean like I love the fact that there is a, verification process of every transaction and like thinking about how that could apply to other things in technology like um even like simple web traffic if you were verifying that every website that you went to was an approved website or something right. you know I don't, I don't know how to implement blockchain and ids ips's or anything like that but the technology is really cool yeah and there are there are people doing that implementing blockchain into all these different technologies from what i've seen high level there's like a ton of opportunity there. Think about all the threats to IoT right now. You have like all these little devices that are separate, like segregated. Sure. You have a house with 20 light bulbs. Each light bulb is independent. Mm -hmm. But then you have light bulbs that miss a patch and go out, like you were saying. They can coordinate with all the other light bulbs and say, hey, uh, we've got a blockchain going here. Light bulb, do you have this update version? Yeah, I have that. Okay, let me grab that. And so you have all these IoT devices start acting more like a, a, a coordinated network instead yeah. of separate devices. Hmm. So blockchain there is really cool. Yeah, that definitely would be interesting to see. 
Tesla also could use it, like uh, no, with use the different it for cars. autopilot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Because then all the cars communicate. If the, the cars communicated, that'd be awesome. That'd be badass. We right? could cars eliminate red lights. Yeah, no more red lights. No more traffic. The no cars traffic. just all communicate because you've got a thousand Teslas out on the road. The problem just, is, is we would need a basically a non like an open source version of a blockchain technology to incorporate, right? Cause a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a standard or a, uh, Oh yeah. Because if, if Tesla comes up with their own blockchain and then Ford comes up with their own, then you don't have cars talking to each other. And we yeah. really need like that. I think that was kind of the ideology behind Tesla releasing the, uh, the open source power chargers, right? Is yeah. that they become the industry standard yeah. and then everyone uses their, their technology. Yeah. So we need the same with like blockchain, like a GPG for, for blockchain. Right. Like, yeah. Open, open chain. Everything open can read it. Everything can understand it and yeah. interpret the results. And we'd have to have a decade or so of research into yes. the security of this. Cause like people still aren't super secure. Blockchain as it stands is secure. And then you, I mean, yeah, like yeah. it's been around for since 1991 I was reading. Wow. So over, yeah. Over 20 years now. Yeah. Or about. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. No, almost 30. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Almost 30 years. There's been it's blockchain. 2020 we, now. We still don't understand it. <laughs> Ooh. That's um, for sure. Yeah. So interesting, but I'm excited to see where it goes yeah, between blockchain and quantum stuff. Innovation is always fun to see. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see. I mean, you got to think we've only had the internet for what, like 30 years, like really publicly available yeah. for like 30 years. And so I'm excited to see the next 30. Yeah. Because we're going to be doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it, honestly. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming, Ryan. That's been Absolutely. Fun. Thanks. And, fun uh, being here. Yeah. Have a good one, everybody.